I hope that's your prayer this morning, that you want to give your life into God's hands so that He can make you who He wants you to be. And as we open His Word this morning, let us, let us go to Him in prayer. God, we do want You to make us in who, into who You want us to be, Lord. We confess that we often try to uh, form ourselves into what we want, or what our culture wants, or what someone else wants, instead of what You want. Well, we do confess that, but we also entrust ourselves to Your powerful hand, knowing that You can do great and mighty things beyond all we can ask or imagine. You can turn things that seem to be uh, unredeemable. God, You can redeem them. And Lord, as we look in Your Word, I pray that this truth of Your Word will come through to us this morning, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be alert, and You would help us to hear what You want us to hear. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a senator from uh, Oregon. His name's Mark Hatfield. And he tells about touring, uh, touring Calcutta and visiting with Mother Teresa. And he was visiting you know, the so-called House of the Dying where very ill children were brought to be cared for in their last days. And then he also talks about visiting the dispensary where Hundreds of poor people would line up to receive basic medical attention. And as he would watch Mother Teresa and others with her feeding and nursing those who have been left there basically to die, as he watched them take care of these people, he was just overwhelmed by this sense of weightiness, the magnitude of death and dying and suffering that Mother Teresa and her co-laborers were enduring. And he asked this question to her. He says, how, how can you bear the load without being crushed by it? In other words, he's saying, you see all these people coming in and you're not seeing them healed. I mean, they're dying. You see all this suffering and death. How, how can you bear up underneath that? How can you keep on? Mother Teresa responds to him and he says, she says, Senator, I am not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. And this idea of faithfulness is very important to our Lord. And as Jesus makes His way to the cross in the Gospel of Matthew, He's making His way to the cross. He sits down on the Mount of Olives and He begins to speak to His followers. And He is beginning to prepare them for when He will go away. And He tells them about the signs of the age to come. He talks some about His second coming, when He will come again. And then He also talks about their need to be faithful when He's away, when they no longer see Him. And in verse 45 of Matthew 4, of 24, He asks this question. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. And so the question is, when he goes away, who will be the faithful and wise servant? And this is something we need to consider. You know, are, are, you, are you the faithful and wise servant? Am I a faithful and wise servant? Were they faithful and wise servants when Christ went away? And so after posing that question, he moves into the parable. And he tells this parable about a master who is going away for a while. And he is going to leave 
his household in charge uh, with a servant. You know, he's going to put a servant in charge of his household while he's gone. And the parable tells us about two types of servants. The first type is mentioned in verse 46, and this is a faithful servant. Obviously, this is the one that we want to be, right? This is the one that the followers of Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, they want to be. And in verse 46, we read, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. In other words, this servant is fulfilling the master's will and mission when the master returns. This is the faithful servant. He's carrying out faithfully the master's mission, what the master has him to do. A man named Fred Craddock, he was addressing some ministers, and he, I think, captures this idea of faithfulness well, the idea of a faithful servant. He says, you know, to give, to give my life for Christ seems to be glorious. You know, just going out in a blaze of glory and martyrdom. You know, maybe you, you know, put your life out there and you die for the faith. I mean, it's just a shot, uh, glorious shot out there going out in a blaze of glory. He says, you know, it's like taking a thousand dollar bill and slamming it on the table and, say, and saying, Lord, this is my life. Do with it what you want. And Craddock says, you know, actually the Lord probably is not calling most of us to do that, to give your life for the sake of the gospel, become a martyr for Christ. He says the Lord would probably have most of us take that thousand dollar bill, take it to the bank, cash it in for a thousand dollars worth of quarters, and then day by day spend 25 cent here, 50 cent there. Listening to a neighbor kid, you know, complain about something going on in his life instead of telling him to get away from us or, you know, sharing the gospel with someone we come in contact with or giving a kind word to someone or helping someone with a glass of water in a nursing home. Just little by little spending 25 cent here, 50 cent here, 75 cent here instead of spending the whole thousand dollars in one event. He says the faithfulness that the Lord is looking for is that just staying faithful to Him over a period of time, persevering through life. That is faithfulness. It's living with God in mind. Or as one author said, having a God consciousness. Just being aware of God, that you have a relationship with God through Christ and you are here for Him, for His glory, for His mission, seeking to accomplish that in your life. You know, spending $1,000 in one shot does not take much perseverance. Anyone can be you know, faithful in a moment, but who is going to be the wise and ser- who's going to be that wise servant that will be faithful, you know, for a lifetime? And what we'll see is it's that servant that loves his master. It's that husband that loves his wife, and it's that Christian that loves Christ that will remain faithful throughout throughout his life. You know, there's a phrase that many of you are familiar with. It's the phrase, once saved, always saved. We've we've heard this phrase before. Maybe you've heard it. And it's a a good phrase. It it accurately uh, affirms this idea that if you are in Christ, you will always be in Christ. However, just like most short phrases, it, it leaves... The, the truth wanting. It, it, it can be easily misunderstood in that it, it can front load 
salvation and just into a one-time event without depicting the wholeness of the relationship. And therefore, I like the phrase, instead of once saved, always saved, I like to use the phrase, perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints. Meaning that if you are in Christ, you will persevere with Christ forever. It's not that you just once had faith and then that's it. But this is a faith, once it is embraced, you're in Christ, it will persevere throughout your entire life. That is a sign of authentic faith. A faith that will persevere. And so this phrase captures, I think, both the eternal security of the believer, but also the faithfulness that that faith will walk with Christ, seek Christ, live with Christ, and live for Christ throughout that person's entire life. So this idea of faithfulness, living with God in mind, your relationship with God being the driving force. It is what makes you do what you do. It compels you to do what you do. This is the faithful servant in the parable. However, there is another servant, and Jesus talks about him, and it's the wicked servant. And this is what he says in verses 48 and 49. Jesus says, But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. So what's interesting here is that the servant on the front end, he looked faithful, right? The servant, he he seemed to be faithful. He seemed to be real. But then when the master left, just like when you were in school and the teacher left the room, your true colors came out. The master, once he left... Then the servant displayed his true colors. And he began to beat his fellow servants and use the master's resources wrongly. And notice, here's what's interesting to me, is that notice notice that Jesus refers to the first servant as faithful. He refers to the second servant not as unfaithful, but as wicked. And this word means evil. It's used both ways. Wicked, evil. And so it seems like God has basically two categories here. Faithful or good and evil. Either you are a faithful servant or you're wicked. Even though I know we would prefer to say, well, he was just unfaithful. No, he was wicked. He was evil. Because he was not connected to the Master in a way that that first servant that first servant was and see this ma- the, the wicked servant the, he sees that his master is delayed in verse 48 my master is delayed and he sees this delay as an opportunity to do whatever he wants to do the master's gone now i'm going to do what i really want to do which is to beat those around him and to use the master's resources in any way he sees fit and some of you have probably said something similar to this in your lifetime, or maybe you know someone who has, and maybe you've said something like this or heard someone say something like this. You know, when I get older, I'm going to give more attention to my relationship with God. Or, you know, when I have children, then we'll get more involved in the church. Or maybe you've heard a phrase like that. And basically what that phrase is saying, I have plenty of time. The Master is delaying 
I can do what I want to do, and then when it's convenient for me, I will get to know God. Well, there's a story that tells of uh, three apprentice devils. They're coming to earth to finish their apprenticeship, and they're talking to Satan, the chief of the devils, about their plans to, to tempt and ruin men. And the first devil says to Satan, I will tell them there is no God. That's how I'm going to ruin men and tempt men. I'm going to tell them there is no God. Satan says, that's not going to work. You may delude a few, but that's not going to work. They just know that there's a God. The second devil says, well, what I'm going to do is tell them there's no hell. And Satan says, well, you may delude a few, but they know there's a hell. There's a consequence for sin. They know that. Well, the third devil says, I will tell men there is no hurry. And Satan says, go. You will ruin men by the thousands. And that's what we see in this parable. This wicked servant, there's plenty of time. I can do whatever I want to do. And then at those last moments perhaps, right before the Master comes back, I will deal with God. And here's, here's something that's true of all of us. We were all at one time wicked servants. Were we not? I mean, we were all at one time wicked servants. And some of you still may be. But we were all there. And the beauty of the Gospel of Christ... And the power of the gospel is that he can take a wicked servant and make him a faithful servant. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not that you muster up the strength to become a faithful servant. No, the gospel transforms you from being a wicked servant, doing your own thing, to being a faithful servant. And Jesus is telling his followers that you know, the master is going to return. The master is going to return and he's going to hold the servants accountable. And when the master returns, verse, 40, verse 47 says, when he finds that faithful servant, he says, Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. In other words, when he comes back and he finds the faithful servant, the one who loves the master, who is fulfilling the master's mission, when he comes and finds that servant doing the master's will, He will grant him even more privileges. The highest of which being the master himself. He will stay with the master. He will be with the master. Which is obviously the greatest reward. But when the master returns and finds his servant in rebellion, verses 50 and 51 say this, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect. See, the wicked servant is thinking, My master's delaying, there's plenty of time. And Jesus says, well actually the master's going to come. You're going to come in contact with Christ when you least expect it. And in an hour he does not know. And then verse 51 says, And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is what he's saying. He says, first of all, When the master returns, 
and holds that wicked servant accountable, the first thing that's going to happen is he will be cut into pieces. Or some commentators believe what he's trying to say there is he will be cut off. He will be cut off from the people of God. He will be cut off from the blessing of God. And he will be cut off from the goodness of God. The second thing he says is that he will be with the hypocrites. The hypocrites are one of the most dangerous groups of people because they seem like they're faithful servants until the master's away. They say one thing and do another, you see. Their words and their deeds, they don't correlate. Hypocrisy. And so, what Jesus says is, I'm going, I'm going to come back and I'm going to cut this type of servant off away from the people of God and put him where the hypocrites belong. Because there was no connection to the Master. So he will go, be cut off, he will be with the hypocrites, and then lastly there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, weeping suggests suffering. Gnashing of teeth suggests despair. It's a phrase used in the Gospels to communicate what hell is like. Hell is a separation from the fellowship of God, the goodness of God, the light of God, the blessing of God. But it is not a separation of the wrath of God. The weeping, the gnashing of teeth. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to give that servant what the servant wants. The servant doesn't want the master, so let's put him in a place where he will not be with the master. And that place is full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you may say, well, Ron, you know, that sounds, that sounds kind of harsh. You know? But Jesus says there's two types of servants. There's the faithful servant and there's the wicked servant. And we have to consider what type of servant are we? If Christ were to come back today, would you be found faithful or would you be found wicked? Now, the good news is, like I said, is that we at least have a moment. You have this moment. And even if you are a wicked servant, the gospel is powerful enough, God is powerful enough and what He has done through Christ to transform you from a wicked servant to a faithful servant. You see, our faith in a faithful God produces faithfulness. Our faith in a faithful God produces faithfulness. We don't produce that ourselves, but when we come to God, He produces that in us. Because we experience the love that comes through Christ, the forgiveness that comes through Christ, and that births faithfulness. I'm encouraged by what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 11-13. He says this, he says, If we have died with Him, we also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. See, our faithfulness is rooted and fueled by the faithfulness of God to us through Christ. That's the engine of our faithfulness. And that was the engine of that first servant. 
He was faithful to the Master out of love, gratitude of the Master. He wanted to fulfill the Master's will, be about the Master's work because of his relationship with the Master. The second servant did not have that, and therefore when the Master left, his true colors came out, and he did whatever he wanted. And that's true of all of us in here. We were all once wicked servants, and now some of us are faithful servants because of the faithfulness of God. And what we read in the Scripture, for example, in 2 Corinthians 6.2, Paul says, today's the day of salvation. In other words, don't say in your heart, my Master is delaying. Because on the one hand, you never know when you're going to intersect Christ. And on the other hand, you're missing out on life the way God has meant for you to experience life. And that is in Christ. And so you are cheapening your life by not experiencing the life that's in Christ. So on the one hand, you're missing out on the blessing that is yours now. And two, you never know when you're going to intersect Christ, when the Master may return. Faith in a faithful God will produce faithfulness. And I think each of us, I think we just need to look at our own lives and say, is the trajectory of my life faithfulness? And we all know we we are unfaithful at times. And we confess that. And and God embraces us with His forgiveness in Christ. He tells us that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He tells us that in 1 John 1.9. Is the trajectory of our life faithfulness? I mean, think about when you get married or think about a marriage relationship. Would you say... The husband is faithful when he stands at the altar, he says all these wonderful words, he dances with the bride, has a wonderful day, and then the next day leaves her and does whatever he wants. That's not faithfulness. That's wickedness. And how many of us, how many of the people that claim to say we know Christ have simply just said something at one point in time and then just left it? See, authentic faith perseveres. It remains faithful to the bridegroom, to Christ. Is the trajectory of your life faithfulness? If it's not, I encourage you to come to Christ. Go to Christ. He's the only one that can transform you into a faithful servant. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful for Your faithfulness. And it's Your faithfulness alone that can allow us and fuel us to be faithful. Thank You for Your acceptance of us through Christ. Lord, I pray that we'd all take an honest look at our lives and ask, do my words line up with my actions? Lord, we know You are a way But Lord, we want to be faithful. By Your power, through Your Spirit, would You continue to to renew us, make us faithful, make us more faithful to You and Your mission. That others may see how faithful You are. That we may even experience how faithful You are. And that You would be glorified as the one true and good Master. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.